Voices of Resistance and Hope. That's the title of our current series. And we've already looked at a number of the different prophetic voices uh, from this section of the Old Testament, uh, commonly referred to as the Minor Prophets. And today, we're going to be hearing from the voice of the book of Habakkuk and the person of Habakkuk. And I encourage you to go ahead and bookmark that and you can uh, go back to it later this week to uh, delve in a little deeper, a little more, and learn about what God is saying through the message of Habakkuk to us today and to you because we're definitely not going to be able to get through every little detail even of a, a short little three-chapter book like this. And uh, <clears throat> so always great to bookmark that and go back to that. Um, the word voice, is, it's a, I was thinking about that in our series. This is a really great word to be used. And interestingly enough, Habakkuk is actually very unique among these voices of the prophets. Because usually the prophetic books, they involve a prophet speaking to the people of God on God's behalf. God has a message, the prophet speaks to the people. That's not what's going on in the book of Habakkuk. And it's really unique and it's really interesting. And, and rather, Habakkuk documents the prophet's own personal grappling with God um, as he confronts issues that are concerning to him in his day, like evil and injustice. And it's, it's really a different kind of a thing. And so in that different way, the book can really be divided into three different sections. There's two complaints, each one in which Habakkuk has complaints and he questions God and then God has a reply, a response. And then at the end, there's a long prayer of praise. And those are the three main sections of the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk was written to Judah, the southern kingdom, around the year 600 BC. It doesn't have a, a specified year, but that's about when it was written because of what he's prophesying is about to happen, happens a few years after that. And so at this time in history, Babylon was becoming the dominant world power. And Judah would soon feel Babylon's destructive force as they were going to be invaded by Babylon and taken over. And Habakkuk shows us that God is still in control of the world despite the apparent triumph of evil and what's going on around us. And right from the opening verses, Habakkuk begins with a question. Life is filled with questions for all of us even today. But not all questions have answers that are all wrapped up and boxed up neatly and tied together. And these unanswered questions, they can create more questions. They can create a, a, a nagging something inside of us that destroys our spirit and brings doubts. And some people choose to live with those doubts and they ignore them and they move on. And others become more hardened or more cynical. But others, they reject those as the only options and they continue seeking for answers to their doubts and to their questions. Habakkuk was a man who sought after answers. He boldly took his complaints to God directly and God answered. But the answers came down like an avalanche. And the following are some key passages that give the overall story of the book of Habakkuk. Again, I encourage you to bookmark this and to go back through it this week. And sometimes it's hard to pick like just one key passage or one key verse in any book in the Bible. And so these passages are included in your notes. They can be found there if you're using the website and the app as well. Um, and I'll read through them. I, I kind of pick these to give that summarizing story of the, the message of these three sections of the book of Habakkuk. And so our key passages begin in chapter 1, verse 2. We have the beginning of Habakkuk's question. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, 
but you do not listen. Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save. And in verse 5, we have the beginning of the Lord's answer. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. Chapter 1, verse 13 begins the prophet's second question. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? And in chapter 2, verses 2 and 4, we'll highlight a couple of things in the beginning of the Lord's answering of that second question. Chapter 2, verse 2, Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets, so that a herald may run with it. And verse 4, See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright. But the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. And chapter 3 brings us to the prayer of the prophet. Beginning in verse 2, but then ending with the last three or four verses of the book. Verses 16 through 19 we'll read. So chapter 3, verse 2. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. And verse 16 of chapter 3. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the Lord in the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights for the director of music, it says, on stringed instruments. This is God's word through Habakkuk, and it's for us today as well. Beginning with doubt and ending with prayers and praise, there are some things that we can observe from the message of the book of Habakkuk. The prophecy is really a series of dialogues, fairly intense dialogues with the Lord. And while Habakkuk knows that God is sovereign, his experience seems to reflect something a little different. And he's struggling with this. And this draws us in because we can relate to that. But it's important to remember that it is a dialogue with God. Habakkuk has a relationship with God and that's important because dialogue flows through relationship. It doesn't happen outside of relationship. Habakkuk is troubled, but he doesn't just throw in the towel and say, I give up, I'm out of here. Rather, he turns to the only one that he knows can really give him both the answers and the understanding that he's looking for. He turns to God because he has that relationship with God. And Habakkuk laments this deplorable state of Judean society, his own society. And this reflects a heart that deeply desires to see God's word lived out among the people of God and honored. And he does this lamenting directly to God genuinely talking to God and that's really the definition of prayer isn't it when we're genuinely talking to God that's what prayer is and lamenting in prayer is better than just lamenting alone by yourself because it seeks to remain within the relationship that you have with God 
And we can learn from this example of how to lament, how to take our troubles and our problems and our concerns and to cry out to God with our questions. Because it's impossible for us to assume that we always know how God's going to deal with our troubles and the events that are going on in the world around us. It's absolutely impossible for us to always know that. And just when we think we have everything figured out about God's purpose, we come to learn that His ways are higher than our ways. His word even tells us this. In Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, we read, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. In response to Habakkuk's lament, the Lord brings an oracle of divine judgment that no one would have expected, not even Habakkuk himself. And he, tell, he told him that. And remember how I said that the Lord's reply came like an avalanche? Well, God informed Habakkuk that he was going to use the, this pagan, evil nation of Babylon to bring judgment on Judah. Habakkuk was looking for justice, but he was told he was going to receive judgment instead. And this is the answer that came and it felt like an avalanche. You know, something ominous coming down from above, raining down destruction, usually bringing terror because you can't get out of its way. And this leaves Habakkuk with more deep questions for God. More questions rather than just answers. But it's important to know that these are not questions of just doubt, but rather they come out of a deep faith, a faith from somebody that's actually seeking understanding of what's going on. And this is because our understanding is not outside of our faith. It's not higher than our faith or above our faith. But this is because our understanding is filtered through our faith. Habakkuk's approach is not one of, okay, God, you better answer me this or I'm out. It's, it's really an approach of you are God and I am not. But I want to understand. I want to understand what's going on and what's happening. Now, how long Habakkuk had to wait for the Lord's reply? It doesn't say in the book. It's not clear. But I hope we, lo- we know and have learned over the years that God's response is not based on our terms, but it's on his terms. God's response is according to his own sovereign timetable. We can't put a demand that God answer us right here, right now. It doesn't work that way. But in our day, we're accustomed to instant everything, right? Instant news, instant food, instant gratification, instant solutions. But this is often not the way that God works. He requires faith and patience in walking with him. There's very few instant solutions, excuse me, to the challenges of life. Not very many of them are instant. Things often do not go the way that we plan. That's a bummer for me because I'm a planner. (laughs) I don't like it when things seem out of control. And things do not often happen as fast as we want either. Like Habakkuk though, we must learn to exercise patience and trust and wait for the Lord's answer as we dialogue with him. And here in the book of Habakkuk, the Lord's answer is not what he expects. But again, that's often how God works in the world and in our lives. I read an article recently preparing for the sermon and it spoke to this and I want to just summarize a portion of it here today. 
It references a New Testament verse in John 16, verse 24, and I'll read that. But in John 16, 24, Jesus makes a stunning, sweeping, but glorious promise to us. And here's the verse. It's Jesus speaking, and he says, Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask now, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. John 16, 24. We're told that our joy will be complete. And so we ask God for the things that we long for because we want that joy that he offers. And we don't ask for trivial things or fleshly things. We pray for a, a greater faith and love and holiness and wisdom and discernment. And we pray for more of God's grace and more of God's boldness. And we pray for joy and we pray for less satisfaction with worldly things. And these longings and these prayers, they are sincere. But we don't know ourselves very well. And we don't know the sheer depth of our sin or what it really requires of us to be able to receive those things that we ask for. And so oftentimes we're not prepared for the answers that we receive. A lot of times God's answers don't look like answers, at least not at first. They look like problems. They look like trouble. They look like loss or disappointment or conflict or sorrow. They cause wrestling in our souls and they expose our sins and our doubts and our fears they're not what we expect and we don't see at first oftentimes how they correspond to our prayers you know i often remember a great scene in a movie that illustrates this idea and i thought of it again this week the movie is a modern day retelling of the story of, of noah's ark in which there's a news reporter who gets elected into politics but then he has an encounter with god and in one scene later in the movie, the man's wife finds herself at a restaurant and she has a conversation with the waiter who in the, in the movie she doesn't know is the God character. And this short conversation turns to the idea of what the God character calls opportunities, about how God answers prayers indirectly rather than directly by providing what he calls opportunities. And he says this, I, I went back and checked it out and wrote it down. If someone prays for patience, do you think God gives them patience? Or does he give them the opportunity to be patient? If they pray for courage, does God give them courage? Or does he give them opportunities to be courageous? If someone prays for family to be closer, do you think God zaps them with warm, fuzzy feelings? Or, or does he give them opportunities to love each other? When God begins to answer our prayers, we often find that the answers are disorienting to us. Circumstances might take unexpected twists and turns. Health might deteriorate for somebody. Painful relational dynamics may pop up and develop between people. Financial difficulties might happen. And spiritual and emotional struggles might come up and they seem unconnected. And we can feel like we're going backwards. Because in our minds, we're definitely not moving forward, right? We cry out, there's confusion, we're exasperated. But what really, it really is happening is that God is answering our prayers. It's just that we expected the answer to look and to feel different. Let's think about this in another way also. About what we ask for in those prayers to God. And how what we ask for might correspond to both God himself and his character and his heart and also the scriptures and what the scriptures promise and tell us. If we ask God for a greater, deeper love for him, what should we expect? 
maybe answers that give us a greater awareness of our sin and depravity because God's word says that those who are forgiven much love much. Luke 7, 47. If we ask God for a deeper experience of his grace, what should we expect? Maybe answers that oppose our pride and humble our hearts because God's word tells us that he gives grace to the humble. James 4, verse 6. If we ask God for his kingdom to come in our own lives and the world around us, what should we expect? Answers that reveal a deep spiritual poverty because God's word tells us that the kingdom of heaven is given to the poor in spirit. And Matthew 5, verse 3. If we ask for God's nearness because we believe it's right to be near to God, what should we expect? Answers that break our hearts. For God's word tells us that God is near to the brokenhearted. Psalm 34, 18. This is a different way of thinking for sure, but it makes sense. But I understand that if this is true, we might be tempted not even to ask God for these things anymore because who wants answers to prayers that are unpleasant? (laughs) None of us do. That's not what we're thinking when we want God to answer our prayers. But let's see where this takes Habakkuk as his book continues on into the third chapter, which is really the prophet's prayer after these deep, concerning dialogues with God. And here in Habakkuk's prayer, we see somebody who has been transformed. Through relationship with God and through a life of faith in God, we see that life flourishes through worship. The book of Habakkuk, it's really an account of a spiritual journey, a journey of faith, one man's pilgrimage from doubt and questioning on into worship. The difference between the beginning of the book and the end of the book is striking if you just look at the text. In the first few verses, Habakkuk is overwhelmed with these circumstances all around himself. And he's crying out to God. And how different is the scene in the last few verses of the book? Everything seems to have changed. The prophet is no longer controlled by or anxious over his circumstances because his sights have been raised far above his circumstances. His thoughts are now on something above. They're on God. And instead of being ruled by the world, Habakkuk has fixed his hopes on God. He's gone from complaining to confidence, from doubt to trust, from man himself and his circumstances to God, from the valley to the high hills and mountains. And Habakkuk reminds us that the question why, you know, it can, it should, and it must be asked, absolutely. He should ask God about this apparent reign of unrighteousness going on around him. After all, dialogue flows through that relationship. And because he believed in God, he believed that God has the answer to his dilemma. His question demonstrates the presence of faith, not the lack of it. You know, for someone who doesn't believe in God, the why question, it, it really has no meaning. But for a believer, the question why finds its ultimate answer in God. And this is because understanding is filtered through your faith, whatever it is you believe in. The final verses of the book of Habakkuk teach us that it is possible to rise above circumstances and even rejoice in them, not necessarily because of them, but in the midst of them. 
But that's by focusing on God who stands above it all rather than focusing on ourselves. Habakkuk doesn't deny his problems. He doesn't treat them lightly either. But he finds God sufficient in the midst of his troubles. He begins by questioning God, but he concludes his book with a psalm of praise. And his prayer begins in verse 2. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk 3, verse 2. He now acknowledges God's wisdom in the coming invasion of Judah that he doesn't understand. And although it terrifies him, he says he will trust in the Lord. This verse is interesting because Habakkuk asked the Lord to do three things. First, to revive his work. He says, repeat them in our day. Your deeds, Lord. Do them again. Repeat them in our day. Second, reveal it to his people. He says, in our time, make them known. Not just before, not just later, but now in our time. And he says, remember mercy through it all. As I prepared for this message, it was that phrase that caught my attention and I remembered a particular worship song called Remember Mercy that comes right out of these verses. Actually, this one verse. Uh, It's a beautiful song. Uh, Joshua and the team sang it as our prelude before the service today. But Habakkuk intercedes for mercy because his heart has now been enlightened and opened to the need for God's divine justice, even in Judah, his own land. What a profound prayer, though. In wrath, God, remember mercy. You see, without mercy, God's wrath would completely destroy everyone, including God's people. Without mercy, there would be no opportunity for sinners to receive grace. This prayer for mercy, it's also appropriate for us to pray today (laughs) as God carries out his plans and his judgment however he sees fit. We can ask him to remember mercy for the church and for the world. And this is how Habakkuk's prayer begins. But then it ends with this. Verses 18 and 19, I'll read again. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. What a moment of praise and prayer. Now like Job, the person, the prophet Habakkuk, wrestled with God, argued with God. And through that experience, he, uh, he received a deeper understanding of who God is, God's sovereign character, and a firmer faith in God because of that, I would say. And ultimately, Habakkuk realized that God is not to be worshipped just for the things that he does for us, but also for who he is, just the fact that he is God and sovereign and creator. And the call in the book of Habakkuk is to trust God. One of the key verses is chapter 2, verse 4. The just shall live by his faith. And faith, it's not a one-time act. It's a way of life, a life that flourishes through worshiping the God of our faith. Habakkuk teaches us how to rejoice when the lid has been blown off everything and nothing makes sense. Nothing that we once counted on as our reference points are even there anymore. They're gone. But he teaches us to rejoice in those times. Again, not because of those times, 
but in those times. There's a subtle difference there. Habakkuk also teaches us to live by faith. Faith in a God who is alive and active in the current affairs of life. Our world in general, our lives personal. Even when our world in general or our lives personal seem distasteful or unappearing, God is still alive and active. A life of worship through faith in the only true God, that's the life that God wants for those of us that follow him. I'll repeat that again. A life of worship through faith in the only true God. That is the life that God wants for those who follow him. And so my encouragement to you today is those three points in that outline if you're looking at it. Dialogue with the God who loves you. Have your understanding filtered through your faith and live a life that flourishes through worship. Amen? Amen.